Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you, uh, not as always, but from the home office today. I'm a little under the weather, and so we are broadcasting from the home office rather than the offices of Lives in the Balance. But it's time for helping behaviorally challenging students, and um, very glad you're listening in. Uh, None of our principals or uh, assistant superintendents are on the line with me just yet, but that gives me a chance to let you know that the call-in number is 646-727-2691. I'm told you have to press the number one to um, get through. Um, Just off of some great things since our last... uh, Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students program. The Lives in the Balance Summit was held on October 16th in Portland, Maine. And I would say the majority of people who were in attendance were educators, not just from the state of Maine. Minnesota was well represented. Uh, I believe Wisconsin was well represented. Lots of folks from all over the place. And then we held our first annual Alberta School Mental Health Conference. Uh, And that was just a few weeks ago in Calgary. And over 750 people um, showed up on at least one of the three days. I think about 650 came for the entire three days. They heard wonderful speakers like Michelle Garcia Winner, Judy Willis, Robert Kinshoff, my mentor, Thomas Ollinger, Robin Peters Bennett, Um, Karen Levine, Uh, I'm missing somebody, but um, that's as many as I can remember right offhand. What a great three days it was. And um, we're planning on doing it again next year in Edmonton. And we'll be hosting our first annual uh, British Columbia School Mental Health Conference next year as well. Speaking of British Columbia, we now have one of our uh, principals. Is this Carol or Susan? It's Carol. Hi, Carol. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you? Good. And, um, boy, that uh, I think that the first annual British Columbia School Mental Health Conference is going to be somewhere in the Vancouver area. So that will make it easy for you and your colleagues to get to. That is excellent. It is, and we hope to have, uh, well, in this last one, we had quite the lineup, and uh, we hope that will be the same this coming time in Vancouver. And we also have one of our uh, educators from Maine on the phone with us now. Is this Nina or Tom? It's Nina. I figured. How are you, Nina? (laughs) I'm great. How are you? I'm good. We're going to have to let... uh, Tom Ambrose know that if he doesn't start showing up on this program, this this would be plan A. This would be an imposed unilateral <laughs> solution on the basis of no information whatsoever from Mr. Ambrose. We're going to dump him from this program. Um, Ouch. But, well, you know, he's got he's got bigger responsibilities these days, so 
he's he is the BMOC now, and um, <laughs> maybe he, you know, maybe he just doesn't have time for us anymore. Um, but I'm glad to have you both with us. Good. Um, we have we have a bunch of email to get through. Um, people looking for input on the different situations that they're facing. But before we get to those, do either of you have any things you want to talk about, report on from your buildings, anything like that? Nina, I know you were at the summit on October 16th. Um, anything yes. you all want to talk about before we jump into the email? Uh, I don't know. The summit was just so invigorating, and um, I had a lot of staff with me, and we just, you know, we were just so inspired as always, and trying to even take things to a, you know, up the level a little bit, even, um, you know, really inspired by some of the things Alfie Kahn was saying about, you know, the verbal rewards and trying to be really aware of that at our school. So it was just, yeah, as always, just so inspiring. And uh, I'll tell you what, if there's anybody who's going to bring energy to the discussion, it is Alfie Cohn. Um, <laughs> he, he, he is not a tame keynote speaker. Um, he was awesome. Carol, <laughs> anything going on in your neck of the woods? Um, I wouldn't say there's any anything earth-shattering. I feel perhaps in our situation like things have plateaued a little bit, so I would love to have a chance to get inspired um, a little bit more and just pump things up and get some fresh ideas maybe for how to uh, keep the energy going and help getting more people um, excited about the, the process and, and keeping it alive on a daily basis. Well, your friend Nina may be able to um, help you out with that. Nina, what do you think? Um, yes, I think definitely, you know, making time for some of that professional development and hearing people speak. It, that was just such a great thing for our staff because it does give you that time to just realize what we're doing is best practice. And I love hearing other messages from just, you know, not just from me talking about it, just other people. And it kind of just makes everybody, um, you know, brings it to another level of talking about it and getting excited. And I we have a definite big you know air of energy right now just coming from that conference. So I think any sort of thing that you can do like that is definitely keeps the energy going or reflecting on something we've been doing is reflecting on success stories, you know, reflecting on the children that have been successful because I think sometimes when you're in the middle of it and especially early this time of year we're solving problems and sometimes you know some of the children it's still it's taking some time to see the success of so kind of going back and reflecting on the children that have you know, are older or even on others in different schools, that's always that always invigorates me a little bit. That's a good that's good advice. Shall we jump into the email here? Sure. Sure. Here we go. This one says, Hi Doctor Green. This is a this is a fairly recent one. We've got a few back from the summer that we didn't get to in our first program, first two programs of the year. Um, so we may have a few that we are just getting to here. Uh, but here we go. Hi, Dr. Green, but also the rest of you. Our school uses your principles as we work with kids with special needs. I have a question, though, that we have been faced with, and I appreciate that it is hard to answer not knowing the people involved, but we have a family with an 8-year-old who hates getting out of bed to come to school, and she rolls in whenever. 
the parents do not want to give consequences and believe that presenting both sides and letting her have a say will work. Mom was told CPS was the only way to deal with behaviors. So the little girl gets to stay home until whenever. The teachers are frustrated because she misses work, and the class is frustrated because she interrupts every single day. Thoughts and advice. I'm happy to give one of you both a crack at that one first. <laughs> Who wants to take that one on? Um, well, the first thing when I hear that is that just understanding the model to know that the adult's concerns are very valid. So I think sometimes that's a misconception that it's only the child's concerns, and um, you need both people to solve the problem. So it sounds to me like the problem's not solved if it's continuing you know, to be a problem. So I would say to do Plan B more at a proactive time and to make sure that the adults know that their concerns are also going to be heard, um, because I think sometimes that is that quit. If people don't understand that, then it can be frustrating. Carol, what do you think? Yeah, my thought was it sounds like they they're not actually using plan B. It's more of a plan A or sorry, plan C of let's just take mm-hmm. the expectation off the table. So, um yeah, I think Nyla's hit it on the head that that the that piece of the adults concern and finding a solution that's acceptable, a mutually agreeable solution has been lost a little bit there. Well, I I I totally agree. It's interesting. Um it says the parents do not want to give consequences. That that doesn't trouble me greatly, but the next part does. And believe that presenting both sides and letting her have a say will work. If, if what they're saying is the kid, after hearing, after airing her concerns and hearing the concerns of the caregivers, then gets to make the call on the solution then they are doing something with the CPS model that isn't the CPS model. Um, Mm -hmm. Consequences aren't the CPS model, but um, mutually satisfactory solutions are the CPS model. Um, And so perhaps there's a misconception on the part of the parents that um, present both sides and then the kid makes the call. That's not this model, Um, I don't know what model that is, but that's not this one. (laughs) And I don't know if that's not plan C. That's a rather fascinating um, adoption of plan B, but it sounds like they're forgetting the realistic and mutually satisfactory part. The other piece of this that's interesting to me, and I'm always very attuned to this, is that what we're hearing, all we know about the kid's concerns is that she hates getting out of bed to come to school. The behavior, of course, is that she's late. But I, um, you know, I could be dead wrong, but I suspect that there's more to this than her hating to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it does sound to me like we are still in search of a mutually satisfactory solution. An interesting thing, while I do... Well, the most common misconceptions about the CPS model are that um, it means having no expectations. That's not true. It means letting the kid call all the shots. And this might be an example of that one, but the CPS model is not about letting anybody call all the shots. It's about helping 
people uh, figure out what their concerns were, solve problems together, and come to mutually satisfactory solutions. Somewhere or another, this seems to be going awry. But um, I think we both we all nailed that one. Now, believe it or not, we have a caller. What do you guys think about having a caller? Sure. Great. Shall we? Shall we do it? Yes, sir. Sure. Here we go. Uh, from area code six. Three, six. Thank you for waiting there for a minute. You're on the air. What's up today? Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm always dealing with, um, again, the school um, where they're telling me that they use your, your model, and but they say their frustration is, is that when they try to get to the point where they're He's frustrated, and then they try to talk to him and say, you know, what can we do to help you or, you know, take a walk around the school, that he refuses to do it, and they can never get to the point where they can find a solution because they're saying that they're lost on what to do next because he refuses to do it. Nina and Carol, we have <laughs> a, uh, we've got some detective work to do here. Let me make sure, caller, that I'm repeating this. We've got a kid who seems to have some unsolved problems at school, and the school is saying that they come up with solutions like walking around the school, and then when it comes time to do the solution, he won't do it. Is that, do I have it right? That's correct. Or when they try to find out what is wrong with him. They're trying to say, you know, what's wrong with your body? What can we do to help you that just wants everybody to leave him alone or he doesn't want to do like what they were saying, take a walk or... All right. Sounds like they haven't quite gotten into the plan B conversation yet because he doesn't want to engage in that conversation. Right. He doesn't like it at all. he doesn't like it at home either. He always says, I don't want to talk about it right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm, my, uh, my detective's ears tell me, if I'm hearing it right, that most of this is taking place in the heat of the moment. Yep. Correct. I heard too. <laughs> that's what it sounds well, like. Yeah, that's not this model either. Um, if... And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like they are trying to deal with that student in the heat of the moment and trying to come up with heat-of-the-moment solution. Saying, mm-hmm. how can we help you, is usually something that people say in the heat of the moment. Going mm-hmm. for a walk around the building is usually an intervention that people think of in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. But the timing's all off as it relates to implementing this model well. Uh, if they don't have a list of unsolved problems that are causing the student to get agitated, and if they haven't prioritized those unsolved problems, and if they're not systematically working on some while setting aside others, if all they're doing is intervening in the heat of the moment where we've added heat and rush to the mix and both of those ingredients greatly decrease the likelihood of a kid talking then I think we know what's going wrong here. But that's just my detective work. Carol, uh, Carol Nina, what do, you, what do you think? No, that's the sense that I got too was that, um, that you know, the word was, was frustrated. So the student is frustrated 
And so the staff is feeling frustrated, and they're trying to get him to be less frustrated so that they can come to the solutions. Um, but he's not in a frame of mind or an emotionally calm state to be able to take part in that conversation. I would, I mean, you've talked about the importance of, of the adults, including the parent and the, and the staff at the school sitting down and, and listing, going through the unsolved problems and getting a sense of the lagging skills. So doing that all stuff, I think, is a critical piece. If they haven't done that, then I don't know that they're going to be able to move forward too much. Um, saying to a, a student, another piece is saying to a student, um, you know, how can we help you? It's very vague. Part of Plan B conversations is having starting with one really specific unsolved problem and addressing it in a really, really specific way. So, for example, um, you know, maybe the student's having difficulty uh you know, starting work in math or something. And so it has to be very specific, not just, you know, what's wrong, why are you so upset, but saying, you know, we've no- your teacher's noticed that when it's time to start your math, you know, you get upset and or it- you have a hard time getting started or, or whatever it is. Um, the third piece is um, I'm wondering who in the school that the student has a really good relationship with. And maybe there needs to be a different person who's who hasn't been involved in Plan A or or in previous disciplinary situations? Um, somebody that the child will feel comfortable with and will be able to to you know they don't have that expectation of someone who's just looking to get me in trouble. Those are my mm-hmm. thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that because I'm actually gonna I actually called a meeting tomorrow with both the principal and the assistant principal because um, the school year started out really good, but. Um, now they, um, I've, I've told him before when they're talking to him when he's frustrated that he's thinking out of his, um, you know, his lower uh, brain and he's not mm-hmm. able to, because he has trouble with social skills. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he was uh, adopted, so he has trouble with, um, you know, trauma, being tra- you know, traumatized. And mm-hmm. so um, the principal, um, the reason why I asked they have the meeting is because the other day they said they were in the hallway and they said that she heard the teacher ask him three times to please be quiet. And when he didn't, she said, please come to my office. And she said, he wasn't dysregulated when he came to my office. He knew exactly what I was saying. And then she said, when I asked him a question, he rolled his eyes. So she said, I took away his recess. Mm-hmm. She said, I didn't like him rolling his eyes. And she said, mom, you need to talk to him about that. Um, and which right there, um, and, and frankly, I was on the other end rolling my eyes because, right, <laughs> and I know right. that sounds horrible, but I mean, I was rolling my eyes on the phone thinking, well, if you could only see me, I mean, how ridiculous that sounds because you didn't even, you didn't even ask the child, you know, they didn't even figure out what was wrong with the child, why he was making noises. Yeah. Um, right. It sounds well, like they, definitely have honesty. <laughs> It sounds it's like a story that straight they're out saying of the They're doing the CPS model because they aren't doing the CPS model. Right. Mm-hmm. And it definitely needs to be more proactive. Sorry. Yeah, well, and they're doing a lot of things that aren't CPS, but I think that we'll end up having to call this program. That's not the CPS model. <laughs> right. Right. I Thanks think the big thing too is building the trust. Thank you. Can I suggest, so, sorry, just before, you know, when you when you go sure, to have go a meeting, I'm a principal as well, and um, it's really helpful when you go in for the meeting to to build some common ground. So, you know, sharing that you can sometimes get frustrated with them at home too, and 
you know, sometimes, yeah, when he rolls his eyes, it can it can kind of push your buttons. But, you know, as adults, we need to, you know, focus on what's going to work for this for this child. And I would really, if they haven't done an ALSEP with them, I would go in with a copy and say this is something that I'd really like to sit down and do with his teacher um, and maybe the counselor and really talk about, you know, can we predict when these things are going to happen? And then let's let's be analytical about it and let's see if we can then choose one because a lot of times when you go into meetings they they may be tempted to start telling you all the stories about you know how he's not doing okay and and then it's you know the response is often to get defensive so going in kind of with a plan of action like not to blame and not to to judge but just say you know this isn't working Um, I think we need to step back and go to this tool that can really help us pinpoint where we can start working with my sons. Okay. All right. Oh, I appreciate that. That's kind of what I was looking for, some guidance for that. Oh, that was so, helpful. Okay. Yes. Good. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who say they're doing CPS out there and aren't. I'm not sure what part of CPS they're doing if, I mean, it's nice that they're asking the kid how they can help if he's in the heat of the moment, but... Um, boy, you could do that without even saying you're doing CPS, eh? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Well, and to hear, and to hear, you know, that maybe they they feel that asking the child's point of view, but getting distracted by a child rolling their eyes, like you gotta, I don't know, anyone. That's not really what it's about. <laughs> anyone who really understands the philosophy, like changing your lenses, that it's not personal, it's not manipulative, it's not intentional willful disobedience that this child just can't cope with the situation they're in you know and it's a defense mechanism for the child like rolling their eyes is is then communicating to you what you're doing right now right. isn't working for me <laughs> and how empower empo- and it's so empowering to be able to sit with that and show the child how dedicated you are to listening to them to be able to move past some of that and right. i think too that uh, that adults are so even if they're, I just keep thinking about solutions. And if the, if one if they thought they were doing CPS and one solution was, you know, taking a walk, that a lot of times when I find things to, a solution not working is because it's more of an adult solution, you know, than a mutually decided on. Which I think sometimes happens when you're rushed or, like, okay, you go in, you know, and somebody already had ten solutions that usually are kind of the normal ones of taking walks. Or so I think that's also it's not really listening when you mm-hmm. come up with your own. And unfortunately, something like taking away the child's recess while you're trying to have a plan B conversation with them when he's not dysregulated and he rolls his eyes and you take away his recess, it's reinforcing that child's distrust. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's that's, like you're saying with one hand, though. one hand you're yep. saying, yeah, I care about you and, and I want to make things better for you. And then the next second it's forget it, I'm the boss and you're nothing and off you go. So right. it's really, and I that's, just think, to me, uh, that's a huge thing to change. Yeah, and adults spend a lot of time, you know, kind of talking about when kids are choosing a behavior and when they're well, when they're not. And I think it's just another. The ALSEP was such a good suggestion because it takes away that talk of, you know, well, this time they were choosing, this time they weren't choosing, and it just that's another. <laughs> you know, to me, it's just you can go, you can spend hours trying to, you know, talk about that instead of just trying to solve problems. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd agree that, that that wasn't real good CPS happening there. No. No, that, that that wasn't CPS happening there at all. 
Shall we move I'm on wondering, to another email? Do you know where that area code is? Maybe we could like send them a little reminder about when the next training is. Uh, I, I know the I know the uh, state the area code was in, but not specific enough to do much about it. <laughs> but, but you know, it's interesting. It gives me an idea, and that is that Lives in the Balance is interested in greatly expanding its advocacy efforts. Mm-hmm. And what would be cool is if Lives in the Balance just created a placard that people could mail to somebody who's mistreating a behaviorally challenging kid, making all the key points. Are they dealing with the problem emergently or proactively? Are they dealing with the behavior or the byproduct of the behavior, the, um, the, uh, of the unsolved problem, the behavior? Are they relying almost totally on consequences or are they trying to partner with kids in solving the problems that affect their lives? Um, so that call is going to give impetus to another Lives in the Balance initiative. Um, and it's a cool thing about Lives in the Balance. The minute we hear about something that's going on out there that people need more from us, we respond. Awesome. Shall we turn to another email? Sure. Sure. Here we go. This one's a little vague, but it's a recent one, so I wanted to get your reactions to it. Um, I recently observed one of several self-contained classrooms for behaviorally challenging kids in a very large district, and I'll say in the southwestern United States. Uh, It is a token economy, and the program demands goal points that are next to impossible for kids to meet. It's breaking my heart to watch these kids in a dumping ground with ineffective practices that never end. Can we help them? I just thought I would throw that one out to you both. It doesn't give us much detail to go on here in terms of specifics, but it does speak to the fact that there's still a lot of ineffective and harmful things going on out there for behaviorally challenging students. Let me give you both the opportunity to respond to that one. Um, I think the first thing. Well, and also just I think to start with research. Go ahead. Oh, I would just, I think starting... There's just so much research if you just want to start talking about the you know the token economies that you know, to start there and to share you can share there's so much different research that's not even just you know from one person or you know it's not just c p s there's so much out there about token economies that maybe at least that could start changing changing that mindset because I just think that's something that we fall back on because it can be. It can work in the moment for the day, or but it's just it's never going to be long-term um, help for these children. And it's it's I don't know. That's it. That would be my first thought. Carol, I think that's probably wise advice because <clears throat> you know when things are implemented, often from a district level. Um, you know, you're kind of told this is the best, latest, great thing, and, and mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to refute that if you feel, if you just feel that it's wrong or you can see that it's not working. So going to that, um, you know, research-based, you know, send them to Alfie Cohn again <laughs> um, about about what's effective and what's not effective. Um, did it say, Ross, in the email that, that, like, it's mandated that they use this program? I read you the whole email. Like honestly, if it says you know what's the best, I would just stop. <laughs> no. 
stop. Just leave the stuff. If you're if someone's going to walk in and and look to see that you got the stuff on the wall, leave the stuff on the wall. But tell the kids like, you know, we're this is up. It's just decorations. I it yeah. it brings to mind a program that um, when I was in. Working in a southwestern state, um, we had a, a behavior support program that was mandated by our district, and it was brought in, and it was um, developed by a police officer, and it involved, you know, public, I don't want to say shaming, but it, it was very public um, when students would lose something and how they had to get it back, and and a lot of kids were like, yeah, take another piece away, like, see if I care. Ooh, you took a little piece off a poster. I'm so scared. And, uh, you know, there was no motivation, you know, and to, to, to really get it back on there. And it was, it, it went against attachment theory and all kinds of things because when students didn't comply with the program, basically, or didn't meet the goals, then they were excluded from playtime with their, you know, with their class and their teacher. So, yeah, it was really, um, it was a hard one to kind of, it was before I came to, to the CPS world, but even at the time, it just felt like hurtful <laughs> to kids and yep. and so fortunately it didn't last very long but you know if you if you if you feel and you don't if you see that it's hurting kids stop simple I advice but it's, well, it's harder it's harder you, you, than you, it sounds you gotta, well you got to you got to got to be able to see it um i remember when i worked on an inpatient psychiatry unit we would you know restrain kids and seclude them and yeah. um uh, it wasn't immediately, mostly because I was sort of just doing what I was told to do and was young and naive and was just thinking, these the people who run this place know more than I do about how to manage this stuff, so they must know what they're doing. And then, you know, two or three months in, it sort of starts to dawn on you, now this just stuff, this stuff just makes no sense whatsoever, Maybe the people who are running this program don't know what they're doing. Right. Here's uh, another and I one. Think, uh, no, go ahead. I was just saying, also visiting the Lives in the Balance website. I just spent a, I've been spending a lot of time looking around again, um, just preparing for some PD with the staff, and it's just so full. You can get lost for so long. You have so much on there, and the walking tours and the different things. So that's just a great way to educate people and to start as well. That's what it's there for. <laughs> I like this one very much. It's a question I frequently get, and it's the examples that I always get to. Are you ready? Yep. What do you yeah. say to the teacher that says, the adult world is full of imposed consequences like getting fired and speeding tickets? I am afraid I will be sending my students out into that world overprotected from consequences. Kids need to get used to it. Thanks. I'm doing a book study, and that came from our first meeting. Who wants to take our first crack at that one? Well, I kind of you always think of myself. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. First. No, you go ahead. I always think of myself, people. I guess. No, go ahead. Go ahead. We've got a slight delay right. here because I'm doing this through my cell phone today because I'm homesick. Um, so oh. that slight delay is making this a little bit more interesting. But, Carol, you go ahead. No, it's Nina. <laughs> that was Nina? Go Nina. Go Nina. Go Nina. All right. 
All right. I was just thinking that I always think of it from like I just try to be reflective on why I why I show up at work and you know all the different things when I get asked that and it just never goes down to that I do the things I do because I'm scared of a consequence. It's always um you know so I think being that self-reflective piece of why we that you know and that's kids aren't they don't display challenging behavior because of consequences or reward it's it's really those unsolved problems and those lagging skills so i think it's just it's changing the lens again but also it it helps when i think of myself or if i think of like why don't i exercise every day i know i should um even if i bribe myself it still doesn't work so there's something you know there's something else else going on yeah and that's you know that's I, i like to think about how often Am I on the receiving end of imposed consequences when I don't do well? The examples people's all people always use are speeding tickets. Um, here's the interesting thing. Yes, speeding tickets are a great example of a consequence one has the potential to suffer if one is exceeding the speed limit. No doubt about it. So it means that there are imposed consequences in the world, right? Um, right? Here's the interesting thing about getting. So, yeah, but if somebody's chronically getting speeding tickets, and this is the main point, you know, if a speeding ticket helps make somebody more aware of going the speed limit, then that, then that imposed consequence worked. It helped the person go within the speed limit. But that's actually not what we're talking about. Um, if somebody's chronically getting speeding tickets, then the speeding tickets actually aren't working, and a person is not being overprotected from consequences. Um, the consequences aren't working. There's something going on that we need to understand better. And if somebody's getting fired, getting fired while that is an imposed consequence is not going to help anybody know anything more about why the person's job performance is unsatisfactory or help them do anything about it. So, yeah, there are imposed consequences in the world. I find that most human beings do, are not on the receiving end of them. Um, I, you know, I, to tell you the truth, I can't think of the last consequence, imposed consequence I was on the receiving end of. It probably was my last speeding ticket, um, although I did have a flight attendant recently give me a warning and it was really just a reminder that um, I needed to close up my laptop. And the truth is, it wasn't that I was being, it wasn't being because, you know, we were landing, but it wasn't that I was being belligerent. It was that I was being oblivious. I, quite frankly, was so consumed by what I was working on that um, I didn't hear the announcement and I wasn't paying attention. Um, but all she had to do was warn me once, and that's not an adult consequence. That's just a reminder of the expectation. And I closed my laptop up immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the last adult imposed, uh, the last imposed consequence was my last speeding ticket. And um, if anybody ever asked me, am I still going in excess of the speed limit on the main turnpike? The answer is yes. Yep. <laughs> just, just like everybody else on the main turnpike. Um, but I think that's the key point. The reason I'm not on the receiving end of, of imposed consequences very often is because I'm meeting expectations most of the time. If a kid is meeting expectations, you don't need plan B or plan C. 
because you don't need a plan because the expectation is being met. This idea, though, that just unrelenting imposed consequences on an expectation that someone is having difficulty meeting makes no sense whatsoever. Plus, one last point, it's not just imposed consequences that the world is full of. It's natural consequences that the world is full of. Um, If you are cruel to people, you're probably going to have fewer friends. If you don't share your toys at choice time, kids aren't going to want to play with you. If you don't do well on a test, you may feel bad about doing poorly on that test. Those are all natural consequences. What fascinate, and those are very powerful and very persuasive. No more, no less powerful and persuasive, by the way, than imposed consequences. What's fascinating is that um, natural consequences are um, inevitable, unavoidable. And yet, what we do with kids who've already been on the receiving end of natural consequences for expectations that they're still having difficulty meeting, what's the typical thing we do next? We add more consequences. Those of the imposed, what I call unnatural, what I call artificial variety. And that just makes no sense whatsoever. Carol, I bet you want to weigh in here too. No, I'd have to say the same thing. I I fortunately can't say that I've ever gotten a speeding ticket. However, (laughs) I still don't meet the expectation depending on the situation. If I sleep in and I'm late to get somewhere and my ability to cope with that stress of being late is uh, outstripped by the the pressure, um, I will speed. And I know that I could get a ticket and I depending on the situation, may still do it. So um, it's not um, because of, of consequences. I haven't even experienced a consequence. So I find that that you know, threat of there are real consequences in the real world, honestly, the, the, the degree of enforcement is so low, I'd have to say, nope, <laughs> that doesn't right. cut it for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've never gotten a speeding ticket? Nope, Touchwood. That's impressive. <laughs> That's very impressive. Unusually, a very Nina, good Nina have you ever gotten a speeding are, ticket? There are some situations. Yes. Good. <laughs> I have, <laughs> but I think exactly the same thing. We don't, you know, if 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 I'm having trouble meeting the expectation, there's always something going on that you need to solve, and it's not a, an imposed consequence. Is never going to fix it. You know, fix the problem for me. You know, so. I just think, you know, I, I think of people that struggle or or do get, if they're getting fired or whatever, there's other, there's bigger things, bigger problems and bigger skills that need to be, um, you know, taught. So I think that's, you know, the consequences are not what shape us. It's exactly what you're saying. I think we have time for one more. Are you ready? Yep. Yeah. This one came in over, this one came in over the summer, but, um, it's, it's just as relevant now. I apologize to our principal in a grade 7 to 12 school for not having been able to respond till now, but here we go. Uh, and this is relevant to both of you because you're both public school principals. I am a public school principal, grade 7 through 12, and a firm believer in the approaches advocated by Dr. Green. A side consequence to working a problem out with a child without providing an overt, visible consequence 
is the effect on the rest of the school community. I often have to respond to the perception that, quote-unquote, nothing happened, and the belief that there is a message being sent that kids get away with acting inappropriately. Any advice on this? I'll leave that one up to you both. (laughs) My favorite response to that one, I think, comes from, I'm not sure if it's one of your sessions or one of the books, Ross, but it's, we don't work in the justice system. We work in the education system. So if our purpose is to have visible consequences for things, then you've got a justice system mindset, which is about punishment and and deterrence. Whereas, and I think that if you're talking about, you know, the rest of the student population isn't seeing something happening, you're talking about using that child as a deterrent example. Whereas if we really see that our role is in the education system and it is to teach, then you can feel completely comfortable with telling people, I'm working on teaching this student uh, ways to solve this problem, and it's like, like it's too bad that you're not seeing a visible punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think just talking to, you know, dig a little more, but what are people, what are their real concerns? Um, you know, that's, you know, we've had to revisit that conversation many times throughout the years at my school, and it's just like, what are you, you know, what are you really concerned about? Who, who are these people just getting away with things? And you know, what's really going on? And I think, um, you know, kind of having staff plan B conversations to dig a little deeper, and also just see, does it mean that somebody's not having expectations? And just that ed- education as well as that CPS does not mean that you don't have expectations. It's when the child doesn't meet the expectations that you have an unsolved problem. So it's just going back to that language, I think, always makes everyone like, okay, I see, you know, I see what you're saying. It doesn't mean you don't have expectations. It doesn't mean everyone can is just running everywhere and doing all this crazy stuff. Um, I think reflecting on that is really important. And it doesn't mean you're doing nothing or that nothing exactly. happened. When you're doing Plan B, a lot is happening. You're getting information from the student about what's getting in his or her way. The student is being made aware of your concern, and the problem that is causing the behavior is being solved so that the behavior is um, no longer there. So um, how people would come to the perception that nothing happened when the kid's behavior is improving and the problems that are causing that behavior are getting solved, how exactly people would come to the belief that nothing happened and the kids are getting away with acting inappropriately is slightly beyond me, even though I know people say that. It's interesting. I find that people say that early in the process when they're actually not that familiar with the process yet. But I don't know. Nina, do you have anybody? Your school's been at this for a long time. Is anybody saying nothing happened or kids are getting away with acting inappropriately at your school at this point? No, not at this point. But I think it's something, you know, to when you're educating new people about it or new staff or families, you know, that – But. We did. We did have to do a lot of work in the beginning, and even and with families and with the community, and just talking about, um, no, we're not doing nothing. This is what we're doing. And I think that does give every that people who are not familiar with the model, it gives a sense of relief and understanding when you do say, like, no, we're not doing nothing. We're not replacing rewards and consequences with nothing. This is what we're doing, and um, that's what people want to hear. They want to hear you're you're you are doing something, and it's it it did take a lot of 
a lot of talking in the beginning and a lot of educating, but it was well worth it. So it's not so it's not that you're doing nothing, it's that you're actually doing something that works a lot better. <laughs> right. And I think talking about that exactly. it's it's under it's behind the scenes. I think the behind the scenes part is really important that it's you know, you don't have things on the wall and rubrics everywhere about what happens to you if you do this and and so I think that's the part of explaining that this is a you know, your plan B conversations are with the people involved and it's, you know, be it's in your office or it's in the problem-solving room, but it's not as public as a lot of the other models out there or, or reward and consequence systems are. So I think that's also important to point out. And on that note, I think we're going to call it a day. What a fun program today. We, what, what great emails we got that are great questions and that prompt a great discussion. Carol, and I hope thank that you. I I really oh, hope that that parent who phoned in will call us back maybe next month and let us know how it's going with her son and the school. That yes. would be wonderful. Thank mm-hmm. you both for taking time out of your busy day to share your wisdom with us. And um, hey, we'll it's talk always to you learning month, experience. Eh? <laughs> thank thank you. you so much. Yes, feel better, Ross. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>